We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. And when we say God glorified, what we mean is that we exist for the purpose of seeing God receive praise, worship, honor, glory, credit, and fame. We believe that he is due. And so we want to spend our lives, our words, everything pointing back to Jesus. Right? It's why when you come here, we say our one desire is that when you leave here, that you'll marvel at Jesus more. that we chose the name Emmaus, the vision of our church is that we want to be a people who declare who Jesus is from all of the scriptures, that we talk about him, we proclaim him here in this pulpit, we do it in our kids ministry, through our songs, through our confessions, through the scriptures that we read, we do it with our neighbors and with our co-workers and with our children at home, that we are a people who declare who Jesus is and that as Jesus is being declared. Hearts are burning with the truth of who he is and eyes are being opened to believe it and there's faith being planted in the hearts of men and women. We want to see this transformation take place in people all across our city. That's what we're about. That's what we will spend ourselves on as long as God sees fit to leave a church called Emmaus in existence. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10 I must go on boasting. Therefore, is nothing to be gained by it? I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body, caught up into paradise or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things. Things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my weakness. Though, if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep from boasting, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Good morning. It's good to see you today, and uh, it's uh, great to have all of you here. There's a lot of you here at the 9 o'clock service. I'm guessing you want to get home and watch that eight-hour pregame. Um <laughs> It's not enough time to watch the same interview over and over again, but uh, man, it's, it's good to see you all. And uh, hey, I, just, just on that note of, of growing numbers within this service, last week, um, you, if you, well, if you've been with us, you know in November we went to two services. Last week felt as if we were back in one service as we've continued to just 
grow and grow and grow. And so just as you come uh, over the next couple of weeks, just uh, take it upon yourself to uh, maybe sit to the center, open up outside aisles, make sure if you're a member here that you're being extra um, attentive to greeting and welcoming guests. There's a chance guests would sit with us and never even meet a covenant member unless we go out of our way just because there's such a growing number of guests. And so um, thank you guys for being here. If you are a guest today, we'd love to meet you. Uh, we'd love to, to say hi and hear your uh, story, however much of that you want to share and answer any questions that you have uh, at the connect table in the lobby after the service. So come out there, stop by the, it's the bar right up against the windows, stop by over there and we'd love to talk with you and, uh, and meet you there as well. Uh, and then um, if you have been attending with us and you're interested in becoming a covenant member at Emmaus or what that process looks like, uh, good news, next Friday and Saturday is our membership weekend. Uh, and so this is your chance. We don't do this again until the fall. And so um, this is your opportunity. If you want to pursue covenant membership with us, jump in. You can sign up. Typically, the deadline would be today. I'm sure a lot of you will be distracted this afternoon and forget. So um, let's make the deadline on Tuesday. Uh, we'll get that out, and you can sign up for that so that we uh, can move forward with planning uh, for that. But we'd love to invite you to join us, share with you what it means to be a member, what we believe, answer any questions that you have about Emmaus at that weekend. So make plans for that. Hey, let's uh, pray, and then we're going to get into this text. I'm excited to preach this text to you. Uh, I was not supposed to preach this text to you. Pastor Ronnie was originally scheduled to do this. And, uh, and then we decided to teach the Introduction to Theology class, which he's leading, teaching, and so he couldn't teach that this morning and then do, do, do two services. And so, um, so I was like, I'll take the text, no problem. And so I stepped in, and then I looked at what the text was, and I was like, why did I do that? <laughs> All right? Like, like, I'm preaching about third heavens and thorns in flesh, and I was like, man, that sounds like a Ronnie text, not a Josh text, you know, and <laughs> kind of had that thought. And I was like, I mean, we, we all are hoping to experience some third heaven later this afternoon, you know, that's kind of where we're at. It's very fitting for today, but I'm actually, through studying it, extremely excited to preach this text. I actually preached it late last night to a group of teenagers at a retreat down in Springfield. Um, and am thrilled to get to open it with you today. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into it. Jesus, you are very graceful to bring us to this place. God, we could not have sung three more appropriate songs for the text that we get to look at today. You have been preparing our heart by us being led in singing lyrics which speak to the truth that at times you allow us and even cause us hardships and sufferings and difficulties so that we might know your grandeur, your grace, your love, your goodness. Father, I know that people come into this room who are in suffering and hardships, who are facing insults, calamities and persecution and difficulties and pain and sickness. And I pray that today's message would not rest upon their hearts in a heavy, um, hard, careless, uh, minimalizing way to their suffering. But may it speak to their suffering to give it purpose and to bring hope in it. I pray you would do this today. Spirit, preach a better sermon than I have prepared. Speak to our hearts in your name. Amen. Amen. 
We're nearing the end of 2 Corinthians, two more weeks in this book. And uh, uh, here in this part, Paul's concluding what we have referred to as his fool's speech. So if you remember in chapter 10, Paul takes a turn of tone and he begins to be aggressive um, and sarcastic with those who are the false teachers and apostles within the church at Corinth and those who are following them. He begins to use sarcasm. Pastor Sam pointed out very well for us last week. He uses sarcasm to point out the folly within these false teachers and their understandings and and their boasting of their own um, strength. And so Paul has gone through a series for us of, of things to boast about. Last week, particularly, he boasted about his credentials. He said, hey, you're a Jew. Well, I am too. You're a Hebrew. I am too. You're a descendant of Abraham. I I am too. You're a servant of Christ. I'm a better one than you are. I am talking like a madman, right? He was like put back with with his own um, boasting. He was like every now and then throughout his boast, he just like pauses to, to recognize he is talking like an idiot. This is ridiculous. Why am I going on and on and on about how much better I am than you? And he's doing it to point out the fallacy within their own understanding of comparing themselves to others. But then last week, it's as if he pulls the rug out from underneath their argument. He's boasting about being a Jew and a Hebrew and a better servant of Christ. And then he goes, and here's why. Because of all the suffering that I've experienced. He goes through a list of things for us. He says, I've been imprisoned more than you. I've been imprisoned more than you. I've been beat more than you. Nearly died several times. Five different times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten by rods. I was stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked three times, floated at sea for 24 hours. I was constantly in danger, in danger from rivers and in danger from robbers, in danger from the Jews and in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in danger in the countryside, in danger at sea and in danger from false Christians. I couldn't go anywhere without facing danger. My life was anything but safe, anything but comfortable. Because I had many sleepless nights. And through hunger and thirst and often without food, I was in cold and exposure to the elements. And then he says, and to top all of it off, I battled daily with anxiety on behalf of the church. Daily wrestled with this mental sickness of anxiety on your behalf. Paul just listed off a whole series of sufferings. And many of his sufferings, are on behalf of Christ. Right? As you look through him, like, like he's being imprisoned and, and he's being persecuted and he's being beat because he's sharing Christ. He is suffering on behalf of Christ. And guys, some of his sufferings aren't particularly on behalf of Christ. They're just sufferings that happen. Right? Going without food and sleepless nights and being shipwrecked. and There's sufferings that just happen from being in a broken world full of suffering. And so Paul goes, hey, I can boast about all the things you can boast about. But I can also boast about things you can't even touch. Here's my suffering. Today, Paul uses the trump card. In today's text, he plays the ace of spades. It's as if in this battle between him and the false teachers, today he drops the nuclear bomb. It's the play to end all plays in this argument. So 
Let's look at verse 1. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So Paul goes, hey, I'm going to keep boasting. I realize this is ridiculous. There's nothing, nothing to gain from it, but I'm going to keep doing it. What's the next topic of my boasting? I know, revelations and visions from God. Let's talk about those. Now, there's nothing unique within Scripture about revelations and visions from God. It's something that actually happened quite often. The Old Testament is full of them. In fact, after we finish 2 Corinthians, we're beginning a journey through the prophets. 16 weeks, one in each of the prophets. The prophets spoke out of visions and revelations from God to God's people. It's very common. But it was also very common in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah received a vision that his prayer had been heard and that he'd have a son. In Matthew 17, Jesus' transfiguration is called a vision given to Peter, James, and John. In Luke 24, the women who went to Jesus' tomb said they had seen a vision of angels telling them that Jesus was alive. In Acts 7, Stephen is being stoned to death, and he sees a vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In Acts 9, God speaks to Ananias through a vision and instructs him to go tell Saul about the gospel. In Acts 10, 19, and 11, Peter has an ongoing vision of unclean animals descending and ascending back and forth from heaven, giving him permission to take the gospel to those whom he had previously seen as unclean to receive it. Of course, the book of Revelation is a book full of revelations and visions. But not only these, this is not the only time we see Paul reference a revelation or a vision from God. In Acts 9, Jesus appears to Paul and knocks him off his horse and comes to him in a vision and says, you're persecuting me. In Acts 16, there's a vision of a man calling him from Macedonia to come and bring him the gospel. In Acts chapter 18, Paul receives encouragement from God in a vision. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul claims to have received the very gospel which he now preaches through a revelation of Christ. Right, That Christ came to him in a revelation and spoke the gospel to him and now he preaches it. And his insight into, many, into the mystery of the gospel and even his eschatological truths which he shares with us were all said to come from revelations from God. This idea of being spoken to through visions and revelations from God is a common thing within Scripture and was a common thing within culture. Within their mystery religions and the, and the pagan um, religions, there was this idea of visions and revelations. Those who, who he spoke to here could receive this. I want to make that point because what I understand is that many of us might have resistance to this. In fact, in a moment, what he's going to tell us is that his revelation, his vision that he had, is him in heaven. And I understand that that could be off-putting to us. We could be skeptics of that. After all, we live in a culture where four-year-olds have dreams of going to heaven and get best-selling books out of it. But this is, though, different than that. This is Paul, the apostle, saying, I've had a vision and a revelation from God. It would have been received by the Corinthian church. They would have understood the significance of this. They were common in their time. But his vision is unique. This isn't just receiving a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come to me. This is a vision of the throne room of heaven. Paul says, verse 3, Actually, verse 2. I know a man in Christ 
who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though, if I wished to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul's vision is that he goes to the third heaven, paradise. Now, I know that sounds confusing. And what we do not gather from what Paul is saying is an understanding of heaven that it has multiple layers. Paul is speaking in supplurative language that they would have understood. There was an argument about what are the layers of heaven? Are there different degrees of heaven? What is the highest level of heaven? And Paul, when he speaks of going to the third heaven, what they would understand is Paul is saying, I entered into the throne room of God where God was himself. I stood before creator God of all things. And in that place, I heard things that I cannot utter to you. Cannot speak them. So, I mean, imagine this vision. Paul gets taken to heaven by God and he stands before God at God's throne and God speaks such things that Paul is not allowed to tell anybody else. Whether God's speaking directly to Paul, God's speaking to somebody else, Paul hears. And then I picture God going, don't tell anyone. He's like, let him in on a plan on knowledge. Paul goes, I can't speak of it. Now these church, this church in Corinth, it would have been gathered perhaps like you are in a house though, someplace gathered in a room. And a man is standing up reading them this letter. I imagine the false teachers are in the room with them. And a man goes to read them the letter from Paul. And Paul goes, I've had a vision. What am I going to boast about? I'm going to boast about visions and revelations. I've had a vision that I was taken to heaven. And I saw God and I heard something that I can't tell you. And the room would have either been a wrestling match. Whispers and conversations. And did you hear that? Did he say what I think he said? Or perhaps just silence. Everyone in the room knows that Paul has just won the argument. Paul has just won the argument. These false teachers cannot compete with this. In the Babylonian Talmud, there's a story of four rabbis who go to the third heaven, the paradise. And only one returns unharmed. It was this idea that the one who returned unharmed was supernaturally, spiritually superior to the others. It was more sacred than the others. Paul, having returned from this third heaven, carries a supernatural weight with these people now. There is a respect for him. And in the mystery religions, they had this common understanding 
of things which were so profound, so sacred that you couldn't speak them. You had to keep them quiet. So Paul has returned from the third heaven and he knows something that he's not even allowed to tell them. This is the ace of spades to win the game. No one can compete with what Paul has just laid out for them. Paul speaks of all of this in the third person. It's a little confusing, is it not? It almost sounds as if he's not even talking about himself. Maybe he knows somebody else who experienced this. Perhaps Paul's trying to distance himself from this person. Perhaps it's such a sacred thing that he wants to, he wants to um, keep it sacred by, by not entering into it in, in first person. Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Paul, how did you get to heaven? I don't know. Did your body go to heaven? I don't know. Was it just your spirit? I'm not sure. There's a whole philosophical and theological argument we can open up about dualism within this, about the body and the soul and the mind that Paul just leaves open by going, I'm not sure what happened. For the sake of time, we'll just say, if Paul doesn't know, we don't know. If Paul goes, I don't know how I got there, we're not going to figure out how Paul got there. Paul just goes, I was in the presence of God. Cruz says about this, the experience of being caught up in the third heaven would place Paul on a level with the great heroes of faith. And by claiming such an experience, Paul would completely outflank and outrank his opponents. He has won the argument. He has finally pulled out the big guns. If I'm a juror, trying to decide if Paul's the true apostle or if these men are the true apostle. And Paul has waited to this point to use this argument. I'm like, dude, use that on day one, right? Like we could have all gone home and had lunch already. Like, why did you wait and use that as your closing? Just make that your opening argument and the case is done. Paul has finished the argument, which makes the next two things that we will look at so significant. First, it has been 14 years since this vision. And we have no record of Paul ever mentioning it before this moment. For 14 years, Paul has sat on the ace of spades. For 14 years, he's held this card in his hand. He could have played it at any point, and he chose not to. For 14 years, he could have boasted of this won every argument with this. He says, verse 4, or verse 5, on behalf of this man, which man? The man he speaks of 14 years ago, himself 14 years younger. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul goes, that guy 14 years ago, I'll boast about that experience then. That was an amazing experience. 
But today, standing before you, I will not use that as my credentials. I refuse to. I could, and I wouldn't be a fool because it would be true. But I'm going to refrain from that. It's a word we would do well to embrace in our culture. Refrain. Just because you had the experience, just because you have the truth, just because you have the argument, just because you were right, doesn't necessarily mean you need to play that card. You would do well at times to refrain from your boasting. Paul goes, I will refrain from boasting today in that experience because I want you to see me in my weakness and receive me for who I am before you today. So his trump card turns out is not this great experience. Turns out this is not Paul's ace of spades up his sleeve. Could have been. Would have been for many others. But it's not Paul's card. Paul's card is this. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. The room is silent. Paul has won the argument, and then he goes, but I'm not going to boast in that. What I'm going to boast in is this. Because that was so great, and because the Lord knew my sinful heart, and that I would be full of pride because of that, he brought me low and humbled me by giving me a thorn. The word thorn there is the word that we also could have stake, like to stake something into the ground. One commentator said it says, if God drove Paul into the ground and staked him there so he would remain humble. Paul says, the Lord God gave me a thorn. We don't know what it is. We don't know what the thorn he's speaking of is. Some would say it's relational conflict. Some would say it was um, his anxiety or depression, which he refers to without, throughout his letters. Some would say it was his eyesight, that he was um, vastly blind and had trouble seeing and whatever it might be. But, but Paul says there's a thorn. And God gave it to him. His words are so precise. It wasn't a thorn that he just experienced. And it wasn't a thorn that God inflicted him with. Punishment, striking him, blowing, giving him a blow. It was, it was a thorn that God gifted him. He gave me this to keep me humble. He allowed me to open this package of pain 
so that I would remain humble. And he says, I prayed three times that God would take it away. Now, whether he literally only prayed three times, this is figuratively, I I prayed, I was praying that God would take it away. I don't know. I think it's good for us to see that Paul was asking God to take this away. Hear me, this text is not saying, whatever suffering you have, just deal with it. Emotional, deal with it. Mental, deal with it. Physical, deal with it. Don't get help. Don't seek healing. Don't, don't seek answers. Just deal with it. It's not, don't pray. Just deal with it. Paul begged God to take this away. And God did not. Pastor Sam last week challenged us to give up the idol of comfort, to see the prosperity gospel for the falsehood that it is. And Paul further, further hits that drum here. If anyone was praying in faith and belief that God could do it, it would be Paul. And God simply says, no, I'm not taking that away. Paul's in good company. The night of Jesus' crucifixion, his trial and crucifixion, he prayed in the garden. God, there's a great thing coming for me, this this death that is coming for me. If there's any way to save them that doesn't require this, would you take this away? But not my will, but yours be done. The scriptures tell us that Jesus prayed it three times. And the answer all three times from God was, no, this is your thorn. Paul has a thorn gifted to him, given to him by God that feels very much like a messenger of Satan. It's common within scripture. God allows Satan to come to Job and inflict him. Paul says that Satan blocked his way from coming to Thessalonica. God will even use Satan and those who follow him as his thorn at times. Paul boasts in this weakness because in this weakness, he says God is perfectly strong. Look at the text, verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. All right, my grace is, is sufficient for you. I've not forgotten you where you are at. I haven't inflicted a thorn to you and just left you on your own. I have grace for you in the midst of that. And it's in that recognition of your thorn, in the experience of that suffering, of that pain, that heartache, it's in that place that my power is made perfect to you. Christian, there is a level and an understanding of God's grace and strength that you will never grasp on the mountaintop. That you will never find in your strong areas. You will only experience it in your weaknesses, in your sufferings, and in your failures. And God is 
kind enough to allow us to face those and even at times to cause those within our lives so that we might find our treasure in the grace and the strength of our God. He said, it seems so unloving of him. Unless he honestly, truly knows your heart better than you do and knows what will bring you not just this momentary happiness, but eternal joy. If he truly knows that, then whatever he allows to come to you, if it's coming through grace so that you might see him and know him fuller, is a gift. He's not out for your destruction, Christian. Christ took your destruction on the cross. He's out for your life. Paul says, But the result is this, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. What is the result of this working that God has done within him? What is this result of God's thorn that he has gifted him, the result of God's grace and strength seen in the suffering from this thorn. Paul goes, here's what it's produced in me for the sake of Christ, for his name and for my experience of his grace and strength. I am content with my weaknesses and with insults and with hardships and calamities, and persecution. Christian, could you honestly say that you are content with being insulted? That you are content with persecution? That you are content with your own weaknesses, whether they be of your skill set, whether they be emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, whether they be your sin, or wounds done to you from others' sin? Are you content in that to trust God's goodness to you? As Pastor Sam called us to in our time of confession, are you content to see that God welcomes you because of Christ? He's made known to you in those moments. Two thousand nineteen was the hardest year of my life. Emotionally, physically, anxiety, stress, realization of sin and brokenness in me that I had boxed up and taped up and put away in a storage unit for years and years and years. Seemed like a year that idol of strength after idol of strength was revealed within my heart. And it hurt, and it nearly caused me to quit and to run and to hide. I literally quit on you three times to my wife. I'm done. It's great leaving. And it was the best year of my life. Because for the first time in my 39 years of life, 
fear and anxiety and hopelessness and insecurity have found their hope fully in Christ. He was kind to me in ways that I've never experienced in any strength that I've had. I pray that we as a church would be a people who will unpack our weaknesses, pull the tape off the box, let them out, look them in the eye, and thank the Lord for our thorns. May we embrace our hardships. May we pray and beg God to take them away. And may he, oh, may he heal some of us from our hardships today and this year. May he remove them from us. He's good to do so at times. And at times, he's good not to do so. And may we remain faithful, knowing that that thorn is meant for us to know to understand his grace and his strength in a whole new way. May it spur within us a faithfulness to him. May our boast not be in our grand visions and experiences and strengths, but may it be in our weaknesses for the name of Christ and for our joy. Jesus, thank you for a text like this, which so honestly points out the idols of our heart. May we bring our idols of strength and comfort to you. May we open up our weaknesses and our sufferings. May we see your kindness to us in them. For it is in our weaknesses that you are made perfectly strong. So we thank you for that. Today, would you save anyone in this room who's not trusted in you, who's not placed their faith in you? Unless there is faith placed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our sufferings are not met with the grace and the strength of Christ. So may our faith be placed in you so that we may know you, experience you, so we may experience the life that you have to give us. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.